So guys, we're, we're finishing out on Light It Up, and um, you know, my name is Jordan Madison, this is my wife Latoya, and uh, we're down in Atlanta, we, we actually just got kind of emotional over there on the side, that was, that was a powerful time in that song, but um, I want to introduce, if you don't know, to our, the best part of our lives, our two little boys, alright? So we have a, a four-year-old named Camden and a one-year-old named Caleb, and uh, that's, that's not him. diaper on his head over and over again. That's like, what Nathan's the only one that knows. I appreciate that. He'll do that on me constantly. But here, here's a, they got some swag, though, all right? They got, oh no, this is not working, Coco. Okay, there we go. They got some swag. Yeah. say stuff, and if you, if you guys remember C-Po Cody, you know what I'm saying? You know, we were always like this, and we thought this would be the greatest thing of all time, right? And this pure and just, light up, 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 you know, we just got so fired up, and it was always Lindsay that was like, never, we will never have lighted up for a thing. We did it, Lindsay, we did it, we made it, alright, we made it, we made it, Like smoking drugs this weekend, we fooled you, alright? We're like a spirit, alright? Line it up. So, we're gonna be diving in here though, for Ephesians chapter 2. And, and I do want to play off that, that kind of that song, light it up a little bit. I got, we got three points today, alright? We got light you up, light us up, and light it up, alright? So we're gonna go, it's memorable, alright? And for each one, we're gonna sing a little clip of that song, alright? We're gonna go, like, you know, I didn't tell you how to do it. So, so you know that song, alright? So we're do it with me, okay? Light it up, up, up! Alright, let's do that, alright, let's do that. So at each point, we're gonna be like, you up, like us up. It'll keep you engaged, alright, alright. I know you need much sleep. So in Ephesians 2, here we go. Ephesians 2. Uh, sorry, Ephesians 1. It reads, uh, we started with this on Friday. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And, and I love how Dom led us through this passage on Friday, but we wanted to take a course through the weekend of kind of getting rid of our sin, talking about our character, and finally laying on God. But I do want to touch on this very briefly in the beginning of this, to remember what life is like without God. Because nowhere in the first part of this passage, one through three, is God mentioned. It's only you and Satan. And I have a question I want us to remember before we talk about how God can line us up. Who would you become if you did not have God in your life? Who would you become? Who would you be? If you take those little sins now 
and you, and you multiplied it by 10, 10 years from now. You took that little bit of arrogance you got, that little bit of lying you got, that little bit of deceit, that little bit of impurity, that little bit of selfishness, and you made it 10 times worse than 10 years from now without God. Where would you be? I know for me, my life would be terrible. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a little bit, but there's a strong chance I'll be in jail. I would, I, because before I was a Christian, I was a, I was a drug, addict, drug addict atheist that was committed to parties and girls and all that kind of stuff. And I, man, I would probably just be in jail or dead. If I was married, I would be committing adultery. And I would be sleeping with some other woman. If I did have kids, I would have kids with different women. If I did have a job, I would be trying to sneak out during lunch break and go smoke. If I did have friends, I'd be doing whatever I could to try to get my way or get my gratifications from them. My life would be terrible without God. How about you? Because if you truly think that without God, your life is great, then the rest of this lesson is not going to be useful for you. We don't, if you think you're going to have lights without God, then you don't need Him to light you up. But the truth is, is that all of our lives without God leads to ruin. Amen? Amen. And so that continues us into uh, the rest of the whole points of this lesson. So our first part, our first point today is light you up. The only... <laughs> I got so excited. Okay, light you up. Let's do it. Light you up. Uh, uh, light you up. Uh, uh. You're engaged. You see that? It only So we're going to continue right here in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, how God likes us before God, before you can light the world, God has to light you up. Alright. Ephesians 2 right here. So in verse 4, he talked about all of what you got and how you were in your life. But in verse 4 he goes, but, but, because of, not because of you, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us align with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Yeah. You know, we talked a second ago how we mess up our lives with our lives would be without God. And I love this transition right here. You, know, you ruin your life. You destroy your life. You admit you would just take it to utter ruin. But God. And when you are right there about to destroy everything, God comes into our lives. It doesn't say you were dead in your transgressions and then you changed. It doesn't say you were dead in your transgressions and you fixed it by yourself. It doesn't say you're dead in your transgressions and then through your willpower and through your mental strength, you change your life by yourself. It says, no, but God. God shows up and God intervenes into our lives. Amen, church? We've been talking a lot this weekend about how we need to change. We've been talking a lot this weekend about how we need to repent, how we need to throw off our sin, how we, and how we have a responsibility to submit to King Jesus. And we're going to continue talking about that today. But it, it doesn't start there. It doesn't start with you changing. It starts with God showing up in your life. Yeah. It just starts with God intervening. It starts with God's love and His grace coming and swooning you and seeking you and pulling you 
towards Him. Yeah. You see, God is the root of our motivation and the power of our transformation. Yeah. You see, any other motivation without God is not going to last, my friends. <laughs> Only God is going to be the ultimate motivation that keeps you. Yeah. And the transformational power doesn't come from you. Yeah. It comes from God. He's the yeah. power of our transformation. You know, for me, uh, I ruined my life. I ruined it. I, I ruined it. I ruined it. And I, I shared a second ago. So my, my dad was a pastor, right? And then he became an atheist. So I went from one extreme to the other. So I said, bump Christianity, I'm out. So I, I stopped believing in God. I went hardcore the other way into smoking and dealing drugs and parties and uh, shoplifting and Grand Theft Auto. It was like whatever I wanted to do, I did it. And I started getting arrested. Because a lot of that stuff's illegal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so... And so, those, my, who, who, we have any sophomores in the house? Any sophomores in the house? Let's go, alright? That's kind of like a middle stepchild here, but you're awesome, you know what I'm saying? So my sophomore year, first week of school, you think you've had a bad week of school? I had a worse one, alright? First week of school, I got caught twice by the cops within three days. And so my parents bailed me out, you know, thank God. And, and I'm sitting there in the dining hall, and just, my life is done. I'm about to get kicked out of school. My parents said, you can't come home. My friends don't want anything to do with me. And, and I'm sitting there in the dining hall talking to a buddy of mine. And little did I know that these two, I got into break dancing, all right? Believe it or not, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> White boys can't dance up, hey. Anyways, I tricked her. Alright, so <laughs> So I got into break dancing and it is two of the guys that were the best break dancers on campus I got really close to. So I'm sitting there dying all the time, I just ruined my life. And he says, dude, you're never gonna be able to change without God. And I was like, what are you, what are you talking about, bro? I haven't talked about God in years. But he was a close enough friend to me to go, what do you got to lose coming with me to Bible talk? And I was like, dude, why? I'm not I'm not going to do that. He said, you just got caught twice by the cops. Come on, bro. I said, fine, you right. You know? And so, long story short, I go, and this is the but God moment in my life. My, this buddy of mine, I had no idea, had just gotten baptized and came to the ministry. And so, and so we go to Bible talk, and God handcrafted this discussion for me. I'm sitting there, and the Bible discussion is about the downward spiral of sin. And the guy, you know, the guy leading me at one point goes, has anyone found themselves in a place where you're deeper in your sin than you ever wanted to go? <laughs> and so I, I look over at Brad and Marcus, I was like, and they're like, I said, I got a story. <laughs> I just got caught twice by the cops. <laughs> and that was the but God moment in my life. When I was drowning in my sin, I, I, I last second, half reached up, God, are you there? And he just went, me out. So, guys, guys, this is not your story. This is his story. Don't just try to find God in your story. Try to find you in his story. What is he doing in your life? Find the but God moment. Before you can light up the world, God lights you up. Yeah, amen for a dancing husband. You know what I mean? He's um, no. Um, yes, when I think of my relationship with God, 
idea of like him intersecting, the word that comes to mind is freedom. And that's why I got so emotional standing over there and listening. The worship team, y'all are just like, Christ, we get a chance to be like God. 
Like, what if that was your resume? What if that was your character? You were limitlessly patient. You were absolutely pure. You were completely humble. You were abounding in love. Like, I want to be those things. I think about John 3, verse 30. It says, he must become greater. I must become less. And I know when I became a disciple, that's what I signed up for. I don't want to be like LaToya. <laughs> I don't want to be like my sinful nature. Um, and I'm, unlike Jordan, I've never been to jail. I've never smoked anything. I've never been drunk. I've never, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that we don't relate in. But my sin is deep. I am incredibly selfish, incredibly selfish, and arrogant, and vain, and conceited, and all the things that you don't see, which are the easy ones to hide. Jordan said, you don't know what's going on, Jordan. It's going to be clear, and that's just, I love it, right? But like for me, you got to ask six questions to figure out my sin. That's the stuff that's hard to change, because I could fool all of you guys. But in me, I'm like, I don't know, I'm not playing God, right? I don't want to be like that. I hear my inner thoughts. I don't want to be like that. I'd much rather be like him. And we cannot root ourselves for long-lasting discipleship if we're motivated by pleasing someone else above God. Yeah. If we're motivated, I don't want you to even be like me. Be like God, right? Sure. Like that umbrella word, it's all rooted in God is good. If you take nothing else, God is good. And when you think about how your walk with God is going, don't think about you first. Think about God. Because how would God answer that question? He's like, I love you. Right after you sin, if you ask God, how's my walk with so-and-so going? He's like, I love her. What if that was the first thing we thought about? So I love when God comes in and just changes everything. Wow. Amen. You want to put in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. Yeah. Appreciate that, sweetie. And uh, this is the transformation power of grace. All right? We're talking about transformational power of grace. You know, God hits our lives in so many ways, yet the biggest one is when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we receive grace. And that's right here in Acts 2, we're going to read this, where after Jesus, there's a new way to put on Christ. There's a new way to enter this relationship with God, this, this, this forgiven, forgiven, Holy Spirit, gracious relationship with the Old Testament, and we see this for the first time here, how you do with Christ in Acts 2. It says, starting with 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both, what? Lord and the Son. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the what? For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive what? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, like in Ecoing, Tennessee, 2,000 years from now, and for all whom the Lord your God will call. Thank God that promise never ends. Amen, guys? But we have right here this, this simple process to how to receive this forgiveness, to how to receive this grace. And I want to be uh, explicitly clear this morning. Our, my goal is for every single person in this room to make it to heaven. Amen. That's a good goal, right? Is, yeah. How are we going to do that? Well, my goal is for every single person in this room to believe, to repent, to get baptized, so you get the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's my goal. I want to be very, very clear on that, okay? 
And because wherever you're at in that process, that's okay. This is a great place to be on your journey, right? But wherever you're at in that process, you want to get to grace. You want to get to that forgiveness. You want to get to that power in the Holy Spirit. But when you have this grace, uh, I want to do an analogy because I think we can mistreat this transformational grace, all right? All right, I got, a, I, got a, I got some slides and a whiteboard. All right, you know, we got to go both ways. All right, here we go. Let's say, let's say you have this whiteboard, and this whiteboard is the record of your sins. Yikes, you know what I'm saying? And so you have this, and so for your whole life, you're just making records of sins, right? And every time mark, it's marking, it's marking, it's marking, it's marking. Let's just say the whole board ends up being completely black and dark in this darkness, right? And then when we get baptized after belief and repentance, we get our sins forgiven. And it gets wiped off. It's a little harder than I want it to be, but you know what I'm saying. It gets wiped off. It gets wiped off. And I think this is how we can view it. After, after we receive this forgiveness, after we receive the power of the Holy Spirit, after we put on Christ in baptism, we can view it like, well, the next day when I cursed my mind at my roommate, well, when I disobedient my parents, when I had that lustful thought, and we think we start marking it again and again and again. And we start filling it back up. And then we can kind of get this idea that, man, I have to go through a certain amount of beating myself up. A certain amount of shaming myself. A certain amount of, like, I have to live in, in this fearful place for X amount of time until I feel better. And then I can finally, once I feel better, go and get my sins forgiven from Jesus again. Does that make sense? So we went through this cycle of marking and erasing and marking and erasing as if we have to continually get that forgiveness. When the reality is, is that when you get baptized, Jesus takes your whiteboard and not only does he erase it, he throws it. He throws it, all right? He throws it. It's gone. It's gone. There's no, when he looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees Jesus. You have put on Christ. When he looks, you have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. When he looks at you, he sees spirits. When he looks at you, he has for, you act like your sin is more powerful than his forgiveness. His grace is so much more powerful. You have no more whiteboard. You do not have to live in shame. You don't have to live in a place of darkness when you've got the spirit inside of you. You can live with confidence. You can live in freedom. You can live with this transformational power of grace and the spirits. Because when you put on Christ and what Christ sees is you, uh, what Christ sees himself and not you. Amen, guys? Amen. You got no more board. All right. So that's point number one. Light you up. Next point. I need your help, all right? Light us up. Light us up. Light us up. Of radical repentance. Yeah. A community of radical repentance. You can flip in your Bibles to Acts 19. Wow. Community of radical repentance. So, um, we're a body of Christ. We're a body of Christ, a family of Christ. And here's, here's the deal, guys. You can't do Christianity alone. You can't do Christianity alone. You know, most places in the New Testament where you see the word you, like you should follow God or you should repent, it's, a, it's not a singular you, take you back to grammar school, okay? It's a plural you. Or in the South, it would be y'all, right? Y'all. It's plural. And here's one of Satan's biggest tricks, all right? Is that he wants us to take American, hyper-individualistic society where it's only about me and never about us and bring that into Christianity. 
and make us think that we can make it all about me and not about us, when you can never find that kind of Christianity in the Bible. So there are some things that you can do uh, in this world alone, but there's a lot of things you can't do alone. Imagine trying to play football alone. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that that would never work. How about dating alone? Can you date yourself? I don't care what you're weird. You know what I'm saying? You can't date alone. But you shouldn't do a group project alone, but some of us have, you know. You're not supposed to, right? You cannot do Christianity alone. You can't do Christianity alone. And so it's a community of radical repentance. It's not just individuals of radical repentance. It's a community of radical repentance. So I want to go to Acts 19. Because in Acts 19, you know, when we read in Ephesus, uh, Paul went and planted the church in Ephesus in Acts 19. And then years later, after he kind of traveled around planting other churches, he's gotten arrested. And he's, he's in jail. And he's writing back to Ephesus, right? So here in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Acts 19, right, you see this while Paul was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So we're about to see some of the community that was in Ephesus. So when Paul is talking about these things to the church in Ephesus, these are the people he's talking to. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, uh, in Ephesus, I love that we can see how united the church is and how radical the church is to become like Jesus. They completely changed together. They did it together. They went against the tide of this world. They went against how everyone else lives and decided to change. I mean, this sounds radical. Look at this one right here. Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed what they had done. That's radical. Like, what if we had a time like that, where we are supposed to openly confess? Can you imagine Paul's preaching about Jesus and belief, repentance, and baptism, and forgiveness of sins, and receiving the Holy Spirit, who wants to confess their sins and join the Jesus movement, and then, and then it's just kind of quiet for a second. Who's going who's to go first? And someone stands up. I want to confess my pride and my arrogance at work. And he confesses, and he sits back down. And in a second, he jumps up. I want to confess my selfishness. I want to confess how much I think about myself, not my family. Someone from me who steps up, I want to confess my lust. And it just goes on and on and on. That's, that's radical. Yeah. But they did it in community. Yeah. And so they openly confessed their sins. And then a number of those who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls. So this isn't like uh, Magic the Gathering. You know what I'm saying? It's a different type of sorcery. But I'll see you next. All right. A number of who have practiced sorcery brought their magic cards. I mean, scrolls together <laughs> and burned them part of it. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. All right, so I did a little research, and that comes out of 50,000 drachmas, comes out to about $5 million today. So they had taken $5 million, and they just burned it. They just burned it. And you might go, well, wait a second, guys. Like, if we sold that, there's a lot of people that uh, buy $5 million and go a long way, right? But not only to feed the poor, and help take care of the sick, and so much less taking care of people needed, helping the church. Why are you going to burn it? Radical repentance. 
Why would we ever sell something sinful to somebody else to continue that sin? Yeah. We're trying to bring light into the world, not darkness. I want to eliminate the darkness. I, want to, I don't want anyone else to bring that darkness into the world. So I'm going to take it out. I want to radically take it out together in community so that we can live out that light together. Yeah. It's light us up together in radical repentance. Imagine if you were one of those homies. And you're one of the guys that, you know, had, had done the scrolls. Maybe you had, you know, a $50,000 scroll that you had spent a lot of time to buy. And then all, all the homies are saying, guys, we got to get rid of this. And y'all had all confessed Jesus together. Y'all had all decided to get baptized. And then everyone else is going, let's go grab it all and go burn it. And you're like, guys, can we just think about this for a second? <laughs> and imagine that conversation. Imagine the guys that were so fired up, they'd be willing to, to throw away $5 million to Jesus because they believed Jesus was that worth it. And what that conversation would, would have looked like with you if you didn't want to throw out your sin. Dude, are you serious? We got into the sorcery thing together. Can you remember how, how much that ruined our lives? Can you remember how, much, how many times we did it and in the moment it felt great, but the next morning we asked ourselves, why do we keep on going back? Can you remember, bro, how we said how many times we said we should stop and we just never could? Can you remember, bro? Jesus is so worth it. This freedom. Imagine if we were actually free from this. Come on, man. We're getting it up. You gotta keep it up with us. Yeah. It's community. Yeah. There would have been no. Oh, that's okay, dude. You're hyper individualistic. You can do it by yourself. We'll do it by ourselves. No, it's like we, we are radically committed yeah. as a community together. Yeah. It's radically repentance community. And this is so important. I'll, I got one more now. All right. I thought it was about some analogies. All right. All right. Here we go. All right. Is fire. So we got a cup of water. And then, and then what happens when a lighter gets dropped in water, right? Whoa. Who thinks it's gonna work? Alright? So we take it back out. It doesn't work anymore, right? A community of radical repentance. If you try to light it by yourself, when you get extinguished by Satan, you'll never be able to light it by yourself. Okay. Yet in a community, one of your buddies that has the spirit inside, you can come. And why do you want
And he tra or he transferred schools to to, Clark, to to South Carolina or UGA or Kennesaw or Auburn to Tuskegee. Yeah. If you transfer, you transfer schools to your school. What would he say about your culture? What would he What would he say? What do you think he would say about your ministry? What culture would he immediately say, guys, we need to change this and move from here to here? If he was in your ministry. We have to be incredible at figuring out, man, what was Jesus' culture? We need to guard that together. Yeah. We need to guard Jesus' culture together. Not guard the campus ministry or guard church culture or anything like that, but guard Jesus' culture. Yeah. And so he had a culture of radical repentance. We're going to call each other to that together. Yeah. So what is normal in your group? Is it normal just to let kind of the gray area sins or strong lines stuff we talked about this summer, I mean this summer, this weekend, is that normal? Is it normal to say, no, we're all burning the scrolls together. Yeah. We're all in this together. We are a team. We're a family. Sometimes we'll fall, but we'll be with there to light each other up together. Yeah. Let's have a culture together of radical repentance. Um, I want to share a couple stories uh, of how I've seen this in different ministries I've been a part of. Um, you know, actually, I got really inspired by this with the guys that I was studying Bible with. And uh, so when I got baptized, uh, like the week before I got baptized, I took all my sinful stuff. So I, I, you know, I had my, my smoking stuff, and I had stupid magazines, and I had, uh, I had like a hookah. I had all these things that I sinned with. And we went out behind uh, my dorm at Georgia Tech, we made a little bonfire. <laughs> and it wasn't $5 million, it was about $500. And it was just, they were burning it up. And we burned, and the, but the only reason I was willing to do that is because they told me how they had thrown out their stuff. And they called me to that same radical repentance. You know, laziness can be epidemic in this generation, can it? Radical repentance and discipline. Uh, when, I was, when I was a student, there's several brothers that just kind of had this pact. If anyone needs to stay up late studying, and you're worried that you're going to be lazy and stop staying in the middle of the night and go to sleep or do something on the computer and just watch YouTube, then I'll stay with you however late it is and let's be disciplined together. And there's radical repentance of laziness to discipline. You know, with, uh, uh, with purity, the, uh, we had this culture of doing whatever we could to become pure. And so I, I, I uh, you know, I was unfortunately very immoral in the world and I switched when I became a Christian and I was more on the computer. And, and so, but I was fighting, I was striving, but as I fell, the guys around me called me a radical repentance. So first I got a blocker on my phone, and then I got a blocker on my computer, and then I kept on failing. And so me and several other brothers made a pact together. If we fail again on our phones, we're giving up our phones. And unfortunately, I failed again. And so I, I switched from my new smartphone to a dumb phone. And I... What's that? It was a Nokia. It was a slide. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so, hey, the biggest thing I was worried about, the biggest thing I was worried about wasn't my purity, it was my image. And especially my image that I was dating her at the time. And so, I hid my phone from her for like three weeks. I didn't let her see it. I was kind of like, I hear a buzz. I kind of tapped in my pocket. So, yeah. But one time we're driving a car together. And I got a, phone, a call, and I, you know, without thinking, I pulled out my phone. And as soon as I pulled it out, I went, oh, no. <laughs> and I don't think, okay, da, 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 da. I hang up, put it in there, and I try to switch the subject. You know what I'm saying? To something else. And then she kind of brings it back. Hey, babe, where's your phone? What happened to your phone? And so I said, well, sweetie, um, I didn't call you, bro. Right? 
I, I was like, I was like, babe, well, honestly, I'm trying to strive in pure man. And I'm not strong enough to have a smartphone right now. I, I need to have a dumb phone for my purity and my walk with God. And she was quiet for a little bit. And, and I honestly thought she was about to break up. Because Toya is radically repentant. And, and she did it, and we moved on. And, and so fast forward, I don't know, six months or something like that. But when we said I love you six months later, I, I brought up, hey, babe, when, when did you know you loved me? And she said, you remember that car ride when I saw your dumb phone for the first time? And I went, why did you bring that up? <laughs> she said, in that moment, I knew how radical you were about your sin and about righteousness. And how you can do whatever you could to repent. And I wanted to spend my life with a man like that. She said, that's when I knew that I loved you. She said, that's when I knew I loved you. But the only reason I was willing to do, one, the only reason she was willing to call me to that standard, be fired about that standard, because she had that community of radical repentance. And the only reason I was willing to make that pact was because I had brothers that I was doing that with. It's a community doing it together. You know, the last one that I just want to briefly share about is there was this brother several years ago in uh, at Georgia State that committed a felony before he followed Jesus. Then he started following Jesus as a disciple. And then the felony came back and a year later, after he became a Christian, a year and a half later, he got arrested and thrown in jail for three years. And so the, the, the community of radical repentance, right, is that he, uh, for three years straight, the brothers and sisters at Georgia State called him weekly in jail. To pray with him, to talk to him, to send him scriptures, to send him notes. And then we, a lot of us for almost three years prayed at the same time every day for him in jail. It's radical love. To say no matter what we're going through, we're in it together as a community.
No one told us to. It just, you missed communion. This is the time for us to remember Jesus. Let's take communion to their dorms, right? Even as a minister, this is a, I know these are stories from a long time ago, but even now, right now, I, I'm so grateful for the Southeast Campus Ministry staff because we're able to rely on each other, build friendship, get advice from each other, cry with each other, have those relationships to where it got to the point where for three years on our own money, we were going on vacation together for New Year's Eve. Like, we'd get an Airbnb and we'd go on vacation as a staff. Like, no one made us do that. It just was like, these are my people. I need this community to stay sane. I remember as a, as a dating, when we were dating, my roommates, we had, all of us were dating at the time, and we kind of had this culture. Again, our campus minister wasn't in there saying, make sure you guys do this, right? This was something that we were like, we want to be like Jesus. Can we do this together? So after dates, that's when it, it's easy to have emotional impurity. You like, you like hanging out at the door for five ever, and then finally you go in, and you're like, wish we would have kissed, but kind of we should have, did we? Okay, does that count? Like, and you're just in your head after dates. We kind of had the standard no solo time after dates. We would just huddle in each other's room, and we didn't have, we didn't talk about what happened. It was just more like, don't be by yourself. Like when you're kind of right fresh from a date by yourself. Our minds are like, what does my name sound like with his last name? It's like, okay, girl, you know, like, y'all just went apple picking, sister, relax, you know? Um, but it's so easy, and I, I, think, I think I needed that in my community because, I, again, I, my sin is so secretive. My sin is so deceitful. At the same time, I was an assistant youth pastor. I was also going to parties at the club. I'm incredibly good at being two people. I needed to learn how to merge those worlds, and I needed people to help me be honest, because I, I knew I couldn't trust myself. I remember my first year as a disciple, there was a guy in my life who was part of my old life, walking with me in my new life. And I needed so much help. I knew I could not trust myself. There was one day I ignored a text message for like, left him on red for like 24 hours, and I like threw my phone, like I just can't look at it. Like I, I can't reply. I don't know what to say. I know I, I know what I want to say. I can't say that. I just like I. It was also like when you need anything, you know. Like I had, I had a lot. I needed a lot of help, and I think some of us need a lot of help, but we don't welcome a lot of help. And I feel like that lighter is trying to come help you out. And you're like, uh, I kind of like not being lit. You know, like I think there's something that we have to really fight for. To say, hey, I want to make sure that my walk with God is something that I'm prioritizing and protecting because it's worth more than gold. You know, it's not about you. It's not about your roommate. It's about God being glorified in our communities. It's about God being honored. In Ephesians 2.15, he says, his purpose was to create a new humanity. Jesus' purpose was to create a new humanity. I don't want to be a disciple, right, someone who's trying to follow Jesus, who's living in opposition to Jesus' purpose, right? If I'm not being new and I'm living in my old self, I'm saying, hey, Jesus, I'm following you, but I want to walk the opposite direction. Because your purpose is this way, but I want to go this way, right? Like, I need to make sure my old self is not here. And that humanity, that group, it's not you. It's a new humanity. It's a new people. So if I want to, I, I can even still be my new self by myself. Right? What if you what if you're that light the one that didn't make it into the water? What if you're that like that what's the thing called a lighter? What if you're the one that never made it into water and you're just lit and happy and loving your walk with God? It's also important for you to know how to light up other people. Right? Like that's part of that humanity that we can't do it by ourselves. 
Honestly, I think a lot of times in our conversations in the fellowship, there's a lot of times when we say things like, "Oh, are you are you coming to the? Are you having? Um, you want to come share your faith? No, I don't, I don't really feel like it. I don't really want to. Or are you coming to church? And, oh, I think I'm tired. Get my hair done. Oh, are, are you want to come pray with me? Oh, I don't, I don't really want to. What if I don't really want to? I don't really feel like it. I'm not. Da, da, da. What if that was met with, okay, cool, but you know it's not about you, right? What if that was the response more often? Because it's not. Think about if you were in the time when the Jews were being called to fast for Esther, and she's like, no one got, no one got a heads up. And Mordecai goes, hey guys, Esther's about to risk her life for us. Let's all fast. And you were like, oh, I just cooked. Oh man, no, it's not about you. It's about the humanity. It's about the group. Some of us even have friends who didn't come this weekend because they didn't want to. What did you say? You 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 gotta realize it's not about you or any other people. In Romans 12, verse 5, I remember studying the Bible. That that verse says, we belong to one another. And Christina asked me, Are you ready to belong to me? And I said, Are you gonna belong to me too? Like, how is this gonna work? We belong to one another. We are doing this together. Ask yourself, what's new about the way I make my decisions? What's old about the way I make my decisions? What's new about my relationship with my friendships, with my roommates, with my boyfriend or girlfriend? What's old about my relationships? Like, what are the things that are starting to come into the new life and this new humanity that God's like, I died so you didn't have to do that? I died so you didn't have to live that way. Living in the light doesn't mean you have to be perfect. That's not what it means. Living in the light means you get to be honest. And I know, you know that feeling when you have something on your heart and you just can't say it out loud? It burdens you, right? And finally you say it and you're like, I'm so glad I see that. Like, God is giving us that freedom to be ourselves. He's like, I know you're not perfect. That's why I threw out the whiteboard because I don't got time to keep up. He's like, just throw it out, bro. Let's move on. Let's love our relationship. But let's live a life living in the light with one another. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it was That sounded really good, though. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right, guys. Last point. Here we go. Let's this in. All right. Now we're going to light it up.
an incredible amount of power. Here's what I mean by that. Later in Ephesians, let me go next verse. All right, later in Ephesians, don't go back there. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you have sealed for the day of redemption. And then in 1 Thessalonians it says, Do not quench the Spirit. So even though the Spirit, this power, He has unquenchable power. He can do more than all you can ask or imagine. When He comes inside you, He wants to use you to light up the world. He actually gives you the power to quench Him. Because He's not going to force you to do anything. He gives you the free will to say, hey, if you want, if you want me, if you want to unleash me, let's go, baby. Let's take on the world. But I'm not going to force you to do it. You can grieve me and you can quench me. So we have to be incredible experts at surrendering to the Spirit and letting His power flow through us. Are you living a quenched life? We talked a lot about that was the best group analogy and conservation analogy I've ever heard on Friday. But are, you know, we know what it means to clench. Okay, so are you quenching the spirits? Are you quenching the spirits? You see, when the spirit is, is unquenched, he is unstoppable. When the spirit is unquenched, he is unstoppable. Hey, what's your favorite car? Just shout it out. What's your favorite car? Jeep, I love it. I didn't hear what any of you guys said. Okay, but if you sound like Lamborghini, you said the right one. Alright? So imagine you're gonna do quarter million dollar Lamborghini. Alright? And I said, dude, yeah, you come talk about game. And you're like, oh, sweet. And so we go over, I show you, you know, we go look at it in the garage. We're going to marvel at it, saying, sweet man. And then and I go, do you want to ride in it? And you're like, yeah. And so we get in the car, in the garage, and we're like, dude, 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 sweet, sweet, sweet. Okay, quick, great. Now get out. And you're like, dude, dude, get back in. We need to go on a ride. What are you doing? You know what I'm saying? You like that? We're kind of squat right there. Anyway, so, dude, you want to get back? And I don't know, we took on a ride. You got him on Lamborghini. And you would go, bro, a Lamborghini isn't supposed to stay in the garage. A Lamborghini is supposed to fly down the interstates. Get back in the car. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, so I get back in the car, right? Oh, let's take the interstates. So we take it out, you know, swerve, swerve, hey, look at me, selfie. All right, and we get back. We get on the interstates. And let's say we get on the interstate and it's a manual, right? Who, who here doesn't know how to drive a manual? Okay, it makes me feel better about my life. I don't know how to drive it. Anyway, so. So we're driving, right? And let's say, you know, we go, it goes to 10, we're going to 20, we're going to 30, and I haven't switched gears yet. We're going to 40, and I haven't switched gears yet. And you just start to hear some noises, right? Some, and trying to go to 50 without switching gears. If you knew anything about cars, what would you be saying to me? And you said, what are you doing? Why don't you take it out of first gear? And you go, well, I, I, I don't know how to drive that fast. I don't know if it's meant for that. You go, dude, this thing's meant to go 200 miles an hour in eighth gear, not 30 miles an hour in first gear. You're completely using it the wrong way. I want to say to you guys, some of you guys are using the spirit the wrong way. And you're letting the spirit use you the wrong way. You're stuck in first gear. If you're meant, the spirit's meant to fly. The spirit is the most powerful being in the universe. The Spirit of God was the first thing on the planet Earth. It created everything. And that power is inside of you, and you're scared to talk to someone about Jesus? Unleash it. Stop thinking about you and just let the Spirit come out. Let His power just un unquenchable, uncaged out into your life. 
The spirit inside of you, God did not give you his spirit so that you could come and sit in church. He gave you the spirit to make a stand for him in this world. He gave you the spirit to bring light into this world. Where are you quenching the spirit? And where can you let the spirit out to light it up? Where can you light it up on your campus? You know, I'm going to share a couple stories about some uh, instances of people lighting it up, right? I want to talk about uh, Nafisa and John Renshaw. We all know no idea who this is about, but since you're in college, I want to talk about some of my college stories, all right? So, so Nafisa, uh, we had this, we had this uh, faith and science devotional, um, and so we were sharing our faith beforehand, and Nafisa shares her faith with this guy, John Renshaw, and she had no idea who he was, uh, right outside like the, the room, right outside the building. And so she shares her faith with him. He's an atheist PhD student at Georgia Tech that was addicted to meth. And so, but he, for some crazy reason, said, yeah, I'll come. In that moment, Nafisa let that spirit come out to share with even the dude that never would have wanted. She tried to, I tried to convince him to come, all this kind of stuff. So she comes. And then the brothers rallied around him, didn't get scared off. This dude is like 6'5", like this jack dude. You know, didn't let the kind of scare him. No, no, you need the spirit too. And so they, they sat down with him, they studied the Bible from all this kind of stuff. He gets baptized. About 13 or 14 months from the day when Nafisa shared faith with John in that spot outside of the building where we had the devotional, 14 months later, basically to the day, John Renshaw proposed to Nafisa as a disciple of Mary. She had shared her faith with the man that she would marry. How crazy is that? That's the kind of powerful moments that the Spirit wants to happen. Now, don't get flirting again, bro. That's what I'm saying, all right? That's what I'm saying. But whatever gets you in the door, you know what I'm saying? You know, some of our ministries after COVID, we're trying to figure out, man, how do we light up our campus? How do we bring Jesus to this campus to change the culture? I just want to tell you what God has done before, He can do it again. Uh, I've seen so many of the ministries that you guys have been on go from small to medium to big. Now, that's about the numbers, but it's about the number of people praising and submitting to King Jesus. Yeah. You know, at Georgia Tech and at Georgia State, both of those campuses, I saw go from 10 to 60 in like three or four years. That just multiplied again and again and again. And I'm so fired up about the guys that take on that mantle. You know, we had a Bible talk. Who here loves Bible talks? You know, in Bible talk, you always think about you're in the perfect location, you want to make it look great, you're going to have some snacks. We had this Bible talk uh, that met on the concrete without chairs, right in front of the dining hall. You know, if you're north of the dining hall, and we sat there on the ground on the concrete in the dark, in the cold, all right? It shouldn't have worked, but the spirit is unstoppable, right? We had watermelon, which helps, you know what I'm saying? So I had this table of watermelon, I would cut it, and I point this knife. You should come to Bible talk, you know, the knife. You know, just, you know, I shouldn't do that. Anyways, our Bible talk, our Bible talk had five, there was five of us uh, disciples in the Bible talk, by the end of the semester, five other people got baptized. Your Bible talk can double. Your Bible, there's people on your campus that are desperate for the Spirit of God. And the Spirit in you wants to use you to lead, to lead you to them to change their life forever. But you have to let Him out. You have, he's unstoppable. I want to lift up uh, my boys over at Georgia Tech, Micah and Chandler and Nathan and Matt. You know, a few years back, there was this study about the most rigorous degrees in the nation. One of the hardest schools. You know who got number one? It wasn't MIT. 
It wasn't Harvard. The hardest academic program was Georgia Tech. Yeah. The hardest one. Yeah. And yet these guys, these guys have not only de devoted themselves to a rigorous program, but you guys make so much time to give yourself to people on campus. You make so much time to fill yourself up with people that you're, you want to help, you want to study the Bible with, that you want to give to. Y'all have the, the best Bible talk in our ministry. And yet you should, you should be the ones that are most exhausted. Yet you're so devoted to the spirit out that it's just doing incredible things. And now you got new friends that are here. It's, it's an incredible thing. So I'm so proud of you guys at Georgia Tech. So proud of you guys. You gotta let those kids out. Hasn't our worship team been amazing this week? Yeah. Yeah, I do want to look like the whole worship team, but especially um, this brother. Let me talk about this brother, Josh Brown. Uh, you know, Josh, over the last several years, has used his gift for the glory of God. We all have gifts, and they're all different. There's no gifts that's better than the other. But Josh, you have used your gift in an exemplary way. You've devoted so many hours. You've devoted so much time to leading us in worship. And actually, this is going to be your last retreat leading worship with us, right? And so I just wanted from all of us to be able to give Josh a round of applause and say thank you.
is to give God a try. Give the Holy Spirit a try. And trust the process. You know, in Ephesians, he talks about how you can, he can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And I love that because there's certain things that we're asking for and we're praying for, and God really is ready to do more than that. There's certain things that you've never even asked for. There's certain things that your imagination can't even fathom. That God is like, if you trust me step by step, day by day, just do the next right step, follow the Spirit in this next right moment, He's going to blow your mind. And I feel like I experienced that last weekend. It's a really long story. We'll keep it brief. I saw my dad for the first time since I was eight years old last Saturday. We took a selfie together and we were laughing. If God were a photo in my story, it would be that. If you want to see a guy on the phone, I can show you. But I felt so crazy, blown away. That's not something I prayed for. That's not something I desired. I hated him. There was so much healing over the last 13 years, step by step, day by day, tear by tear, prayer by prayer. For 13 years, it culminated to me sitting, eating dinner or, or breakfast, and meeting Jordan for the first time with my father. It was incredibly healing, and I know that that was all God, and it is such a process. And I just want you to have vision for your life, in your faith. There are things that you literally can't imagine that God is like, I'm ready when you are. Let's go. And so as we leave this retreat, I really want us to have a hope and a vision for what God is about to do more than you could ask or imagine. Let's say a prayer to both out. Father God, we are so grateful that you entered and intervened our life. God, thank you for lighting us up individually, lighting us, us up as a, a radically repentant community. And God, I thank you for the power that you place inside of us and the Holy Spirit so that you can use us to light up the world. God, we're grateful we can do this together. We're grateful for your son. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.